Good morning. Welcome to Sunshine USA. This is Warren Landis, your host and Bible teacher here on Sunshine USA. I say good morning. I mean, this is when I record uh, the program. I like to record in the morning because that's when my voice is strongest and and that's also usually when I feel the best <laughs> physically. Uh, in terms of my health, it's almost like my health goes downhill as the day progresses. So I like to do these recordings during the morning hours after I first get up or right after I eat breakfast. And in some cases, I like to do these recordings even before I eat breakfast. Amen. Okay. Well, uh, today we're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Now, those of you that have already looked at 2 Corinthians chapter 2, you already know that it's a fairly short chapter, and if you've already read it, then you know firsthand how short 2 Corinthians chapter 2 is. But uh, what Paul has to say in 2 Corinthians chapter 2 is so very important, and it can be very useful to us. And once again, this is uh, one of those chapters where we get a glimpse at how Paul thinks, uh, Paul is revealing a little bit more about himself personally. By the way, that's one of the values of studying 2 Corinthians. Paul is very candid about himself. He reveals a lot of inside information about himself. And that's one of the things that we gain from a study of 2 Corinthians. Now, in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, Starting with verse 1, we read, So I decided not I would not bring you grief with another painful visit. He says in verse 1, So I decided I would not bring you grief with another painful visit. Now, here it helps to once again take a look at the order of the Corinthian correspondence. And I've referred to this more than once already, and... <laughs> Who knows, I might refer to it again before this study is over with. But uh, Paul, it seems, communicated at least four times with the Corinthian people. First, he writes what we know today in our Bibles as 1 Corinthians. Um, it then seems that he wrote a harsh letter. And then, thirdly, it seems there was a sorrowful visit. The sorrowful visit was very short, very brief, and frankly, not very successful. Uh, Paul did not accomplish with that short visit what he had hoped to. And then we come to what we know as 2 Corinthians. That's the order of the Corinthian correspondence. And uh, one reason I dwell on it, too, is because when I was in college and seminary, uh, I had professors that felt like that was very important. In fact, I can remember to this day, one of the test questions that I had in my New Testament class was, list the order of the Corinthian correspondence. Uh, now, it also reminds us that we don't necessarily have a record of everything that Paul wrote. For example, in that order of Corinthian correspondence, uh, the so-called harsh letter, we don't really have any record of. We don't have a record of that. Uh, 
as far as most Bible scholars know. Uh, unless maybe a part of it survives in what we know today as 1 Corinthians chapter 1. But basically, we, we don't really know what that harsh letter said. It also appears too, by the way, and we get this from reading 1 Corinthians, that Paul had several occasions where he communicated by letter with the church at Corinth. Uh, a lot of times, uh, different members of the church at Corinth, they would write Paul, they would ask him questions, and then Paul would write back with the answers to those questions. Very candid, very honest answers. Amen. But uh, he says, I decided I would not bring you grief with another painful visit. <laughs> In other words, uh, that painful visit was very short, very brief, and very painful. Because uh, apparently, uh, when Paul said what he had to say, uh, in that harsh letter, it didn't go over too well. And he was trying to mend fences, and it didn't go too well. So let's uh, read on. He said, I decided that I would not bring you grief with another painful visit, for, I, for if I cause you grief, who will make me glad? Certainly not someone that I have grieved. That is why I wrote to you, as I did, so that when I come, I won't be grieved by the very ones who ought to give me the greatest joy. Surely you all know that my joy comes from your uh, being joyful. I wrote that letter in great anguish, with a troubled heart, with many tears. I didn't want to grieve you, but I wanted you to know how much love I have for you. And so Paul says, when he wrote uh, that painful letter, which apparently we don't have, he wrote it with a grieving heart. He wrote it with many tears. And, you know, that just reminds us that sometimes a true preacher of the gospel has to say some things sometimes that he wishes he really didn't have to say. I remember a, a sermon that one of my previous pastors preached one time. He was pastoring a church that was not very supportive of the things he wanted to do in the ministry. And many in that church uh, were gossiping about him. They were not supporting him. And finally it came to a head one day when he brought a sermon titled Get Right or Get Out. Uh, he would later go on to say that was probably one of the hardest, most difficult sermons he ever preached. But he said it needed to be preached. And, and there was a great turnaround after he preached that message. Many of the people that had caused him pain and suffering got right with the Lord. And those that didn't get right with the Lord died. You know, one of the things he said in that particular sermon, he says, I fully expect in the next few months to do some funerals around here. I mean, it was a painful sermon. It, it was not one of those sermons that he looked back on with great fondness. Um, in fact, later on in his life, he probably says, man, I can't believe I came down so hard on these people. <laughs> okay. 
um, we find in chapter 2, verse 5, I am not overstating it when I say that the man who caused all the trouble hurt all of you more than he hurt me. Most of you opposed him, and that was punishment enough. Now, however, it is time to forgive and comfort him. Otherwise, he might be overcome by discouragement. So I urge you now to affirm your love for him. Now, I have said in the past that I don't like many of the church discipline programs that I hear about in different parts of the country. Uh, many churches today have some type of program of church discipline. A lot of it, frankly, is unscriptural. And some of the things that churches do when they practice church discipline actually leaves them wide open for a massive lawsuit. <laughs> so I'm not really in favor of the way most churches do church discipline. I think in most cases it does a lot more harm than good. But Paul says this one man was so sinful, you put him out for a while and that was good. But now he says it's time to forgive him. Now he says it is time to uh, forgive him. Now, um, in Second Corinthians, or, or I should say in First Corinthians, uh, we have reference to a man who had a scandalous relationship in the church. The believer had an incestuous relationship with his stepmother. And Paul directed that he be disciplined. And it seems the church did just that. In fact, Chuck Swindoll in his commentary says they disciplined him so severely that they did not have room to forgive him when he repented. Now Paul comes to the man's defense and says, Look, the discipline has done its job. The man is repentant. Forgive him. Forgive him. You see, this should be one of the keys to any church discipline program. It should always be done in Christian love, and it should always be done with the view of restoration in mind. Now what this man was doing in 1 Corinthians was so sinful and so despicable, it was actually despised even by the pagans in Corinth. But it seems initially the church at Corinth was very tolerant of this guy. They took no action at all against him. And Paul said, look, this is not right. You need to put this guy out of the church. But it needs to be for a season. And once he repents, you need to take him back. You need to forgive him and restore him. You need to shower him with love. And that is what Paul is saying that they should, in fact, be doing. You know, one of the sad things, I think, in our churches today is that we have become an army that shoots its own wounded. You look at the average church congregation today, and let me tell you, there's a lot of hurting, there's a lot of suffering going on. 
Amen. And, and you as a pastor need to reach out in love to these hurting, suffering people. Now, where there is sin, you have to be honest and let these people know, hey, you know, what you're doing is not right. But when you come to this person, you need to deal with them after the fashion of love. Uh, I told you one time about a church where I used to preach, uh, and they had a sign behind the pulpit. It said, preaching the truth in love. Preaching the truth in love. That is what the Lord expects us to do. Preach the truth in love. And like I say, it might be that you have to discipline this person. I mean, uh, if you have a person who's living in immorality, like this guy was, I mean, obviously, you can't let this person have a leadership role in the church. You certainly don't want them to have a teaching ministry in that church. And like I say, you may have to suspend their membership until such time as they get things right with the Lord. But this should not be done permanently. This should be done temporarily, in love, and with a view towards restoration. That is what Paul is teaching here. He says, I wrote you as I did to test to see if you would fully comply with my instructions. When you forgave this man, I forgave him too. And when I forgive whatever needs to be forgiven, I do so with Christ's authority and for your benefit, so that Satan will not outsmart us. For we are familiar with his evil schemes. <laughs> and we certainly know that to be true. The devil has all kinds of evil schemes. And, you know, I find the devil is hard at work today. The devil knows even more than we do that his time is limited. He knows one day he's going to end up in the lake of fire. One day he's going to be all chained up. And he's not going to bother us anymore. And so Satan wants to take full advantage of the time that he's got now. He's actually taking more advantage of the time than we are. When we realize how close we are, I believe, to the end of time, it ought to motivate us as Christians. It ought to motivate us as a church to do more and more to get the gospel out. Because getting the gospel out is our number one priority. Now, that doesn't mean that we don't make room for social ministry and minister to those that have physical needs. We certainly should do that. But first and foremost, our job as a church is to get the gospel out. Amen. He says, When I came to the city of Troas to preach the good news of Christ, the Lord opened the door of opportunity for me. But I had no peace of mind, because my dear brother Titus had not yet arrived with a report from you. So I said goodbye and went on to Macedonia to find him. Now, Apparently, Paul had sent someone um, like Titus 
to the church at Corinth to get a report from them. And it turns out that eventually Paul got this report, and it was a good report. It was a report that said, you know, hey, no, the man was forgiven, the man was restored, and all is well. They have followed the teachings of Paul. But Paul apparently did not hear from Titus right away. And Paul was so anxious to hear the report that Titus would have, be it good or bad, that he went out looking for him. And we could certainly understand that. So let's read on. Now, starting in verse 14, Paul shifts gears a little bit, and he points out that we are ministers of the new covenant. We are ministers of the new covenant. He says in verse 14, but thank God he has made us his captives and continues to lead us along in Christ's triumphant procession. Now he urges us to spread the knowledge of Christ everywhere like a sweet perfume. Our lives are a Christ-like fragrance rising up to God. But this fragrance is perceived differently by those who are being saved and those who are perishing. To those who are perishing, we are a dreadful smell of doom and gloom. But to those who are being saved, we are a life-giving perfume. And who is adequate for such a task? So Paul is saying that we're spreading the gospel of Christ. We're spreading the good news of this new covenant. And it comes across like a sweet perfume to those of us who were saved and have responded to that message. Now, of course, those that are not saved, it comes across as a message of doom and gloom. Now, let's talk for just a few moments about the new covenant that we have in Christ. Now, those of you that follow Sunshine USA on Blog Talk Radio, you know that on Blog Talk Radio, I have an edition of Sunshine USA where I study through the Old Testament from the first chapter of Genesis right on through the last chapter in Malachi. And right now we are currently in the book of Exodus. In fact, we're getting toward the end of the book of Exodus. And, you know, I pointed out in my broadcast the other day there that we could be very thankful for the fact that we don't live <laughs> in the day of Moses. Back in the day of Moses, the people had no direct contact with God. The way it was set up, God would deal with Moses, and then Moses would relay the message of God to the people. But the people had no freedom to go to God themselves personally and directly. Whereas in this new covenant that we have today, we could go directly into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. We could go directly into the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Boy, I tell you, this is exciting stuff, folks. <laughs> we have this exciting new covenant. 
It, it's indeed and in fact good news. And it's this good news that you and I are entrusted to get out. The good news of Jesus Christ. And then we come to the last few verses of chapter 2. He says, you see, we are not like the many hucksters who preach for personal profit. We preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. Notice that Paul says here, we're not like the many huskers, hucksters out there who preach for personal profit. Now, Paul is not suggesting here that it's wrong for the pastor to have a good salary. Uh, certainly, we know the pastor deserves a good salary. I mean, he needs to be able to support his family just like you support your family. But you have some today that have TV and radio ministries and you know what? They're not really interested in ministry at all. They're interested in a big bank account. They're interested in having a fleet of jet planes. They're interested in living in mansion-like homes here on this earth. Folks, I can tell you right now, on this earth, I have never lived in a mansion. I have never lived in a mansion. And you know what? I never see myself living in a mansion on this earth. One of these days, the Bible says, I will be moving into my heavenly mansion. And boy, let me tell you, I, I look forward to that. <laughs> uh, I remember back when I was younger, one of my favorite things on Sunday was to go over to my parents' house after church. And after church, we would, uh, I mean, uh, we I would go to church with my parents and we would uh, either eat at their apartment or else we would go out for a drive. And during that drive, my dad used to love going through some of the richest neighborhoods. And he and I enjoyed looking at all those nice homes. And of course, my dad dreamed that one of these days he would have a nice home like that. And my mother, on the other hand, she didn't like the Sunday drives where we would go through these nice homes. Because my mother said, you know, look, I've never lived in a mansion. I never intend to live in a mansion until one day when I move into my heavenly mansion, which she's already done now. Amen. She's been in heaven since August 5th, 1998. Three o'clock in the afternoon. That's when she went to heaven. And now she has a heavenly mansion. One of these days, I'll have a heavenly mansion. One of these days, I will see my mother again. Amen. I look forward to that. But I'm not like these TV and radio preachers that are trying to hustle you so they can get rich. Not too long ago, I heard about an evangelist on TV. He was trying to raise $85 million. Think about that. He was trying to raise $85 million for a private jet airplane. And he already had five or ten private jets. 
But he wanted a new $85 million jet because, you see, it would do things that none of his other jets would do. It was even capable of doing mid-air refueling. I mean, it had all the bells and whistles. Now, he would have saved a lot of money just going to the airport and buying an airline ticket like everybody else. But apparently this evangelist felt like he was too good to fly on a plane with everybody else. He wanted his own private jet. But why not fly on a plane with everybody else? I mean, after all, you want to minister to them. You want to tell them about Jesus. How can you do that from a private airplane? Amen. Uh, I tell people all the time, you know, I'm not making a lot of money in the ministry. In fact, I've always made a lot more money in secular work than I have in the ministry. So no one will ever look at me and say, Warren, you're preaching for profit. No, sir. I was trying to think the other day, the biggest paycheck that I ever got for preaching the gospel was for $100. And that was for a whole week's worth of ministry. $100. I get the impression some of these TV and radio preachers today, man, they wouldn't waste their time preaching for just $100. I heard one preacher, he got on the radio and TV, and he says, if you got $1,000, he says, I guarantee you, that $1,000 ain't going to do you much good. You might as well send it to me. Another preacher said, money is evil, so send it to me. Now, I can truthfully tell you, I don't get paid a dime doing this program, Sunshine USA. I don't get paid a salary at all. I do it only for two reasons. Number one, I love God. And number two, I love you. And he says, we preach the word of God with sincerity and with Christ's authority, knowing that God is watching us. Folks, if you're in the ministry, let me assure you, God is watching everything you do. He's listening to everything you say. And that's why Paul is saying here, whatever we do in the ministry, it needs to be in sincerity and in truth. I heard one time about a TV minister, uh, he had a mailroom staff whose job it was to open the mail. Their job was to retrieve whatever financial contribution was in the letters, and they took the rest of the letter, which usually included prayer requests, and they just tossed them in the trash can. You see, that minister was not interested in ministering. That minister was not interested in praying for people. He just wanted a quick buck. And that, of course, brings us to the end of 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Does not bring us to the end of 2 Corinthians. We still got a lot more of 2 Corinthians to, to go. It, it does bring us to an end to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. So for next time, um, go ahead and read chapter 3. I think you're going to find 
that Paul will have more to say about this new covenant that God has with us. And I think it's going to be very exciting. Now, as usual, if you have any questions, if you have any prayer requests, uh, I want to hear from you. I have two email addresses. One is warnlandis at yahoo.com. The other one is warnlandis at gmail.com. My snail mail address is warnlandis, 80 Thrusted Street. That's T-H-R-U-S-T-O-N, 80 Thrusted Street, apartment 8510, Greenville, South Carolina, 29605. And those of you that want to contact me personally, I'm going to give you one of my personal phone numbers. (laughs) I've actually got two personal telephones, but I'll give you one of my personal phone numbers. It's a phone number that is especially dedicated to this ministry. It's 864-608-2102. That is the number, and I hope that you will call it. You can call it seven days a week, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Now, in the event that you call me at 3 o'clock in the morning, I do hope it's urgent. I do hope it's important. If it can wait till the next morning, that would be better. Amen. But if you've got an important issue, I don't mind being woke up with a phone call at 3 o'clock in the morning. Amen. Of course, now I realize we have listeners all over the world. I mean, it might be 3 o'clock in the afternoon where you are, but when you call me, I answer it, and it's 3 o'clock in the morning here. You know, that's okay. Because ministering to the personal needs of others, that's what I'm all about. Amen. Right now, I feel led of the Lord to go to the Lord, a word of prayer. I'm going to be praying for you our listeners. Dear Lord, I thank you right now for the many listeners that we have. Lord, I thank you for the fact that we have listeners listening in virtually every major country on earth. Lord, I thank you so much for these individual listeners that make up our radio audience. Lord, I pray right now for the different needs that these people have. Lord, right now we have a man that's looking for a job. Lord, I know that you have just the right job picked out for this person. A job that will probably pay even better than the previous job. We have a student that right now is struggling with their studies. Lord, they've got major exams coming up. And frankly, they're having trouble comprehending everything they need to comprehend. Lord, be with that student. Give them understanding. Help them, Lord, to recall that which they have studied. Lord, we got a single mother listening to this program. Between working a job and trying to take care of her kids, Lord, she's got a full plate every day. Lord, be with her needs. Comfort her. Send her people that might be willing to help her carry the load. We pray for a certain businessman right now listening to this broadcast. He is wanting to expand his business, not so he can make more money, but so he can minister the gospel to others. So he has more 
money to give either to this ministry or to his church or other ministries out there. Lord, we thank you for the way you provide for our needs. Lord, we thank you for all the times in the past where we've prayed to you and you've done exactly as we asked you to do. God, we pray for the different countries that our listeners come from. Lord, we know that right now we live in a very troubled world. Lord, we know that right now we live in a world where there's lots of violence, there's lots of warfare, there's a lot of hunger and suffering, and Lord, we pray that your Holy Spirit will take charge and solve these problems. Here in the United States, Lord, you know we have an election coming up later this year. We'll be selecting a new president. And Lord, we pray that your will will be done at the ballot box. Lord, I pray for the different pastors listening to this broadcast right now. Pastors who tomorrow, which is Sunday, they'll be preaching in the pulpit, bringing your word to your people. Lord, be with them as they prepare these messages. Be with them, God as they seek your guidance as to what they should say. Be with the people as they listen to these messages, that they will be willing to be not just hearers of the word, but also doers of the word. And now, Lord, we thank you and we praise you, Lord, for all the great things you've done for us and the great things going forward. We know you're still going to be doing for us because you love us and you want to take care of us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I tell you, I, I enjoy praying for you guys. I don't pray just for myself. I pray for you guys. Because I love you. I care about you. I care about your families. I care about the countries you live in. And I would appreciate it if you would do what you can to Spread the word about this radio ministry called Sunshine USA. Because it's always been my heart's desire that we will reach more and more people with the life-saving, life-changing gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, until next time, this is Warren Landis saying goodbye, God bless you, and guess what? I'm going to see you next time on Sunshine USA.